Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The winter transfer window is not a million miles away, which means planning for it probably needs to start now. On this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, we're going to discuss which positions Arsenal need to prioritise when it comes to strengthening in January. How much money will be available? We'll take a wild guess. And will we see significant business full stop? I hope so. We'll get into it all on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you've all had a fantastic Thursday so far, Thursday night at the time of recording. Um, I hope you've all had a good day. As I say, um, hope you're all uh, refreshed. It's the international break. I always find like the first week of it is okay. Like you can get by, right? You've you've been emotionally invested in in the last few weeks of club football you probably feel a little bit emotional because of some of the results we've had, but also because of some of the decisions that have gone against us. You know, I think the first few days of the transfer window are always you know, transfer window. What am I talking about? Of the uh, international break are OK because you kind of need that calm down sometimes. And obviously we've had things to discuss. We had the PGMOL's uh, release of the um, the VAR audio, which infuriated a lot of us. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about that anymore. I'm not going to dwell on it, I promise. Um, we've also had the Nick Ramsdale interview as well, which sparked a lot of debate and a lot of conversation about his future at the football club. So the past few days haven't really felt like we've been in an international break because, as I say, lots to discuss, lots to talk about, um, lots to kind of keep across. Once we get past this weekend, though, I fear that it is going to be a drag in terms of um, you get into that week where you know that the Premier League return is on the horizon and the last few days, they just don't seem to pass, right? That's how it goes. Um, so international breaks sometimes needed. I wish they were a little bit shorter. I know it can't work like that because you need to have the days either side for travel and all the rest of it. But I always feel like in the second half of the international break, I'm literally gasping for football. And um, actually... I don't want that to be the case. Um, let's say a few hellos to people in the live chat. We've got Jimmy Flo who says, uh, hey, Harry, Edu needs to fire up that grill. Uh, he does indeed. We've got the Canterbury Guna. We've got Afsar. We've got Callum. Uh, Tim is with us as well. He says, do you honestly think uh, we will get anyone in? I suspect it will be sweet. <laughs> Adams, oh, my God. Uh, we've got... Um, Jordan, who says, let Edu cook. We've got uh, Ogachukwu. Uh, we've got the Jordi Guna, who says, late night pod while the little man snoozes off up the Arsenal. Does that work for you? Because whenever I've tried to put my kids to bed and like maybe put something on in my headphones or something, they, they just never let me listen to it in peace. It drives me mad. <laughs> uh, we've got Junior Gunner. We've got Amira. We have got Moss as well, who says... Nice. A show at a good time for once. <laughs> a good time for our listeners and viewers, of course, uh, across the pond. Uh, greetings to you, mate. I hope you're all good 
hope you are well. Okay, let's do it then. So what are we going to do exactly on this show? Well, basically, we're going to discuss the positions that I feel Arsenal need to look at when it comes to the upcoming transfer window. Now, I'm realistic. I know it's January. I know we spent heavily again in the summer. And I know that that normally means a slightly more conservative January window, um, as we've seen in recent years. You know, if you um, think back to what we did last summer, think to what we did this summer, and you look at what we did in the Januaries in between, of course, the business was generally lighter, generally less expensive. You think about the fact that we were going to go for Mikhailo Mudrik and we ended up getting Leandro Trossard for, what, a quarter of the price? And that's fine. Um, you know, a player can be a good fit without costing an arm and a leg. And, and and that isn't a problem. That isn't something that, you know, you should make too big a deal of. But when I think about it, although I've said that, you know, we tend to spend bigger in the summer. And I think the summer is always a window where you plan quite far in advance. I feel like the January window is a window in which you are normally a little bit more reactive to you know how your season's gone so far to maybe injury problems that you have to maybe the loss of form of some of your key players you know you're thinking you know he's not quite been at it this season I might need to get another option in there um and it tends to be as I say that a little bit more reactionary but you've got to remember Arsenal did try to sign Moises Caicedo for 75 plus million Arsenal did try to sign Mikhailo Mudrik during January windows for big big money so this is a club that clearly are willing to invest that money, even in the January window, if they feel that the right option is out there. Now, lots of um, discussion about Arsenal's financial fair play situation. Lots of people suggesting that Arsenal can't afford to go big um, in uh, in the January window. And I guess this, the fact that we signed David Raya on loan the way we did kind of backs up that point that maybe Arsenal do need to be a little bit smarter in the structure of some of the deals that they do in order to meet those regulations. So that's going to be interesting to see. Some people have suggested that Ivan Tony is an option and we'll come on to talk about forwards a little bit later on. But Ivan Tony would cost a pretty penny. And, you know, from what I understand, I don't, I don't know if Arsenal could go that far in a January window unless it was a structured deal and there was a structure in place that suited Arsenal and allowed them to not manipulate their finances, but just, let's just say, stay on the right side of the lines. Let's put it that way. Now, there were reports today that Ivan Tony will not be leaving Brentford in January. That came from Alex Crook of Talk Sport. I don't know if that's true. I don't know what the situation is specifically with him. And we're not going to spend too much time on this episode looking at individual players. I think we'll do that during the window where... When links come up, we'll we'll do deep dives into those players and we'll try and make sense of whether or not they'd be a good fit for Arsenal. I think it's important that before you go into a transfer window, you understand what you need. And although Mikel Arteta is definitely not going to be watching this and definitely won't give a shit what I have to say, I feel like this is a good time to start to at least formulate a plan for the January window. So let's start off um, with... The key areas of the team will go through goalkeeper, defend, uh, defenders, midfielders and forwards. I'll tell you what I think about each of those positions. You can tell me what you think about each of those positions in the chat box as well. I'll read out some of your answers and then I will prioritise in terms of what I think is most important and what I think we need to do first and foremost going into the January window. From all of this, from all of this, you'll know that I clearly feel like we do need to do some business. Um, 
the, the summer window was satisfactory to me. Um, I think there were some real highlights. The Declan Rice signing was brilliant. Um, the Jurian Timber signing was superb. The Kai Havertz signing hasn't worked out as well as I'd have liked it to so far. I'm not willing to give up on him yet. But when you look at some of the holes we have in the team, granted, a lot of that is because we've had a fair few injuries at the start of this campaign. You sometimes look at Kai Havertz and think, 65 million, we could have maybe spent that on somebody who was a little bit more of a specialist in the position that ultimately we've utilised Kai Havertz in most. So I accept there's a debate there, right? And, you know, it was a signing that I was all for. I'm not against it. I'm not saying it was bad. I think it's too early to say that definitely. But I am in a place where, you know, I'm starting to question whether that was the best use of money at the time. So anyway, let's start with the goalkeeping position. I was totally 100% convinced that Aaron Ramsdale would remain at Arsenal until the end of this season. There was no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Aaron Ramsdale would remain at the very least until the end of the campaign. Now, I'm not saying that he's going, but listening to Nick Ramsdale and looking at the reaction that Nick Ramsdale's interview generated, I do wonder if there is already a plan in place, an exit plan, for Aaron Ramsdale from Arsenal. Now, I don't want that to be the case because I, I think he's a good goalkeeper and I think he's a great character. And I'm really, really warm to him since he came to Arsenal. I was one of the people, I hold my hands up, that when we were linked with Aaron Ramsdale, I said, is this what we need? Is this really what we need? Do we need, um, you know, a, a goalkeeper that's going to cost us a pretty penny that in my opinion at the time, wasn't better than Bern Leno. Did, did we really need to spend that? And it felt like a lot of money when we were crying out uh, for a midfield player. But he's come in. He's been great. He's impressed. He's won me over. And I, I really don't want Arsenal to lose him. Now, Mikel Arteta has the right, as we've discussed on recent shows, to decide who his number one goalkeeper is. It's not for me to tell him um, who that number one should be. But, you know, I just, I feel like, yeah, Raya's got some nice qualities and, and I think he will eventually come good at Arsenal. But is it worth, is it worth this situation that we've created with Aaron Ramsdale, whereby he's clearly not happy, where his family are coming out and talking about it and all the rest of it? I just don't know. The point I'm getting to, the point I've gone around the houses to get to is I'm not convinced anymore that Aaron Ramsdale will be here come the end of the season. That's not to say that I know something. That's not to say that the chances of him leaving are high. I don't have that information. But the more this goes on, the more I think it is likely that Aaron Ramsdale seeks a move elsewhere. And the reason I say that is because he will be desperate, absolutely desperate to be a part of the England squad going to the Euros in Germany next summer. And not playing is going to be a problem for him. Now, Gareth Southgate has said that if he doesn't play, then, you know, there's no guarantee that he will be a part of the squad. And there's no guarantee that, you know, he retains his place as one of England's uh, top two goalkeepers. Now, I think that makes Gareth Southgate a hypocrite. You might ask why. Well, he played Harry Maguire when Eric Ten Hag didn't want him anywhere near the team. And he persists with Calvin Phillips, who Manchester City clearly don't want anywhere near their first team. So that's why I think, for Gareth Southgate to come out and say that, is that bit hypocritical? However, I do think that's something that's gotten to Aaron Ramsdale. 
And I think he's panicking about the fact that, you know, his England place could be in jeopardy. So I'm worried. I am worried that Aaron Ramsdale will seek a move away if things continue the way they are. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. So I'm worried about Ramsdale. And if I'm worried about Ramsdale, well, that means that we have to think about another goalkeeper because as good as David Raya might be or um, as good as David Raya might prove himself to be slightly further down the line, the drop-off after him without Ramsdale would be huge, really huge. You know, Carl Hein, heard good things about Carl Hein over the years, watched him play uh, in a couple of games, some at under-21 level, some at first-team level in cup competitions. I'm not convinced by him, not in the slightest. And then you'd be putting yourself in that position again where one injury can derail you. And we were in that position last year and the whole idea and purpose of building the squad to a new level was to protect ourselves against that. Yet if you're bringing in new pieces to strengthen the squad, but that is seeing others pushed by the wayside and others becoming unhappy and wanting to move on, then actually have you achieved what you set out to would be my question. So if Aaron Ramsdale were to leave, Arsenal would need to bring in another goalkeeper. They would absolutely need to. Move on to defenders. Um, I said at the start of the season, when we signed Jurian Timber, that in my opinion, our defensive unit was complete. I really believed that that signing, the signing of Jurian Timber, did that for us, took us to that point. You think about his versatility, can play centre-back, can play right-back, showed he can play left-back as well at the start of the campaign. You've got Tommy Asu, who could play anywhere across the back line. You've got Gabriel and Saliba, two specialist centre-halves of a very, very high level. Jakob Kivio has proven that he can play at left-back and at left-centre-back. You've got Ben White, who can play at right-back, right-centre-back. You've got Zinchenko in the mix as well, albeit not really a natural defender. But I felt like the capture, the signing, capture is the wrong word, signing of Jurian Timber completed our defensive unit. But of course, we've lost him. And so where we needed that extra player to elevate us to the point where I felt that that unit of our team was complete, we're without him. And I, I don't know what it's looking like in terms of his potential return. You know, is he going to return as early as January, February? Some are suggesting that, but it's going to take him time to get back up to full fitness when you've been out of the game for such a long time. So there is an argument that we could do with another defender. But then you'd be looking at a, a stopgap player. You'd be looking at someone just to come in and plug a hole. And, you know, there will be times during a manager's tenure where they'll have to do that, where they'll have to go out and bring in stopgap players, players that fill a void in a short term. But it's not the type of business that you ideally want to do. So defence, there's an argument there, particularly given Timber's absence. We've coped with it okay up to now, touch wood. But, you know, if, if things were to take a turn, we could find ourselves a little bit short. Moving into the midfield, what do we need exactly in midfield? And this is the big question, right? Because what I can tell you is that it is highly unlikely that Arsenal are going to go out and bring in multiple midfielders during this window. I think it's one at best. One midfielder at best. So the question is, what do we need? A six or an eight? I think really, when you look at the makeup of the squad, there's probably a need for both. I think that we could do with a specialist left number eight, which we don't really have at the moment, if we're being honest with ourselves. Kai Havertz has tried to 
take that role on. And I think he's struggled at times. I think he's started to show signs of what he can do, but he's done it when he's playing on the right side of that midfield, which doesn't really help us on the left side, clearly. But also, I think the other position he's looked better in is at centre-forward. So if left eight is the third best role that Kai Havertz can play in this Arsenal side, then we're clearly without a specialist left eight. Emile Smith-Rowe was someone that was looked at as a potential option in that part of the pitch. But again, he's not fit. Again, he's unavailable. And that's a consistent issue with him. Declan Rice has played there at times, but I don't think Declan Rice has been able to play that role completely freely or as freely as maybe Granit Xhaka played it because for most of the season we've been without Thomas Partey and Jorginho, as good as he is for me, isn't that guy that you can just leave in isolated positions and trust him to be able to cover the ground required. Fabio Vieira, I mean, he started the season brilliantly and all of us thought he'd turned the corner and then it's tailed off again. And then he stupidly got himself sent off against Burnley, which means he's out now for three games. Talk of Zinchenko potentially moving into that position. I'm not against that. But in all the time that Zinchenko has been with Arsenal, we've only seen him moved into that position at any point in any game once. Which tells me that maybe Mikel Arteta isn't sure about him in that position. Which is strange because he played there at times for City. He played there. He does play there at times for Japan. I think Mikel Arteta's decided that Tommy is a better option, generally speaking, at left back than Zinchenko. I think in the games where, you know, you're going to be up against it at times when you're traveling away from home, I think he looks at Tommy Asu now and thinks he's a better option. And at the start of the season, he was picking, you know, Jury and Timber in that left back position. I know Zinchenko wasn't always available, but it just goes to show that. Arteta was proactively looking for different ways to cover the left-back role. So could that mean that Zinchenko moves into midfield? Maybe. And if that is the case, then maybe we don't need a left eight and a six should be the priority. Rice can play as a six. Jorginho can play as a six in the right environment if he's got the right players around him. Mikel Arteta trusts him. I'm not sure we do, but Mohamed Elneny is still there as well. So I think you can make a case for both. What do we need more? Six or eight? I think personally, given that we've got Jorginho, given that we've got Rice, given that we've got Elneny, although I'm not massively keen on him, I think I'd go out and get a number eight before I go out and get a number six. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. Let me know what you think in the comments. We'll go through your comments in a minute. Then we move on to the forward positions. You know, lots of talk about Arsenal needing a centre forward. I think that Enketi has done well at times when covering for Jesus. And I think that um, that Trossard's done well playing there at times. I think Havertz looked okay playing there at times as well. But none of them, none of them are as effective in terms of the way they impact our overall game as Gabriel Jesus is. And so, yes, you could argue that we're okay in terms of personnel there. But I, I just look at that and then I compare it to the other forward position that's always been talked about, which is the right-hand side. And I think, what do we need more? It's, it's a tough one. Because whoever comes in to play on the right-hand side is hardly going to play. That's that's the truth of it. You know, Bukayo Saka will be in the team all of the time he is fit and available. And although we don't have too many specialist right-wingers, we do have a lot of wingers within the group. Therefore, you could make the case that the centre-forward is more of a priority. Me, I'm going to lean towards bringing someone in 
on that right-hand side. On the right-hand side, over centre-forward. People will agree, people will disagree. Let me know your thoughts. I'm going to take a really, really short pause. Then I'm going to get some of your thoughts from the comments. And then I'm going to tell you which positions I think are the biggest priorities. I'm going to rank them for you. And again, feel free uh, to rip my um, <laughs> my uh, opinion apart on that. Quick pause and we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're talking the positions that Arsenal should be prioritising ahead of the upcoming January transfer window. Let me take some of your thoughts from the live chat. Uh, also, some breaking news as we're live. Uh, Mikel Arteta has apparently been charged uh, by the FA for his outburst after the Newcastle United game. Now, we are focusing on transfer priorities um, and all the rest of it. Uh, on this edition of the show. So we're not going to get into that in detail. Gives us something to talk about on tomorrow morning's edition. We'll be live at about, what, 10 a.m.? Yeah, about 10 a.m. Um, the FA statement says uh, that Mikel Arteta has been charged with a breach of FA rule E3.1. It happens following comments that he made in media interviews after Arsenal's Premier League game against Newcastle United on Saturday, 4th of November. Oh, we didn't see that coming, did we? Anyway, um, OK, let's take some of your thoughts on all the things that we've discussed over the first 20 or so minutes of this podcast. Um, Kudus says, um, I think the Ramsdale camp is pushing too much. It should be resolved internally without giving an unnecessary public interview about the issue. The team invested so much in him after numerous relegations. I agree with that. OK, I think that internally Aaron Ramsdale probably has the right to feel unlucky. And, and if he feels like it hasn't been communicated to him properly, you can understand his frustration. But it is not his dad's place, in my opinion, to come out and speak like that. And although, as we've said already, when we reviewed that interview, I don't think he crossed the line per se in terms of the specific things he said. I think he left a lot open to interpretation. He hinted at a lot of things. And I think people will naturally take the words that he did use and allow their emotions and, and suspicions to run wild. So whatever way you look at it, and the more I think about this over the last few days, the more I believe this, there was just no good that was ever going to come from that. And I don't think Arsenal would have liked it. I don't think Mikel Arteta would have liked it. And I'd imagine that there will be, even if we don't find out about it, some, some price to pay. Um, for that. Okay, uh, let's take uh, some more of your thoughts. Um, Khalid says, if we get Zubamendi or Douglas Louise, then we could either play Rice holding, um, either holding Rice in the eight and Odegaard. Sorry, what? It's a little bit confusing. Basically, what you're saying is, if we get a Zubamendi or a Douglas Louise, then we can play either of them holding Rice in the eight position and then Odegaard. Yeah, and, and that would be essentially replacing what we thought Thomas Partey was going to be able to do for us this season. Uh, Khalid also goes on to say, I personally think it's a myth that Zinchenko can play in the midfield in the Prem. When he inverts as a left-back, he has more time on the ball. If he starts there, I don't think he'll manage. I've, I've said that repeatedly as well over the past year or so. I think when you're playing in one position, but you have the license to drift into another, it makes you a spare man, an extra man, and that gives you space that you wouldn't have 
if you start in that position. Uh, Hacker says, uh, Cunha at Wolves looks a good transfer target for lots of teams this January. I liked Cunha when he was at Hertha Berlin, I want to say. Um, but then he kind of went off the boil a little bit for me. I've only seen three or four Wolves games this season, but whenever I've watched them, I've, I've been impressed by him. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Amira says, have we not learned from our defence breaking down the past two seasons? Zinchenko and Tommy are injury prone. White hides his injuries. And when and how will Timber come back? Gabby and Saliba have had injuries too. And then it's Cedric. Yeah. And listen, with, with Urian Timber or Jurian Timber, as it's meant to be pronounced, my apologies, in the mix, I think we just about had enough to cover those things and cover those possibilities. But without him, I don't think we do. And and so I am concerned. I am worried. Um, Halor says uh, there isn't a top 10 striker in the squad right now and only Saka in the top 10 assists list. Is that a sign of a title contender? I think that's a little bit harsh because Jesus has hardly played in the Premier League this season. And when he has, he's tended to play out on that left-hand side. Do you remember when he was playing on the left and Eddie was playing through the middle? Let me just bring his uh, Premier League record so far this season up because I'm I'm keen to just to just clarify that. I want to make sure that I'm not just imagining that. I don't think I am, but never know. And it's the social media age. It will only be a minute before somebody pulls me up on it. Uh, hold on. Gabriel, Jesus. Um, annoying that my keyboard's over here and my screen's over there. Bad setup uh, in the uh, Casa de Simeu. Hold on. So Gabriel Jesus, who's training with Brazil, by the way, at the moment, and apparently is con in contention to play against Argentina, which makes my head hurt. But anyway, um, he's played as a centre forward in the Premier League three times this season. He's got one goal in three. It's not disastrous, is it? But the other two games, he uh, the other three games, I beg your pardon, um, sorry, of the six starts, is it six starts? Hold on, let me just work this out. So he played one minute against Fulham. Yeah, okay. He played four, four. Bear with me a second, guys. Mic troubles. Tom Canton's cursed me again with his mic troubles. Hold on a second. Because I realise that when I change away from the mic, the audio goes really, really bad, doesn't it? Bear with me a second. Um, let me just get this fixed for you. Hold on. Sorry about that, guys. We should be back now. I don't know what happened there. I'm telling you, it's Tom Canton. Every time he has mic troubles, it's like the, the thing just transfers over to me. Anyway, we're back. Um, so just going back to what we were saying about Gabriel Jesus's uh, performances or, or, or positions he's played. He played one minute against Fulham, 14 minutes against Manchester United, 24 minutes against Everton. So those count as appearances, but they're not starts. They're not long periods in the game. According to Transfer Mart, the six games where they've actually looked at his position, so what I'm assuming they've done, and I, do you know what? I'll show this to you. Hold on a second. 
Um, let me just show this to you one sec. It might be easier than me trying to explain it. Um, one sec. Here we go. Right. So if you have a look at TransferMart's website, let me just zoom this out a little bit for your uh, your benefit. So here we go. OK, so if you have a look at this, you'll see uh, that he's played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in the Premier League so far this season. When it comes to the position that he played in, they've only marked six of the games. And I'm assuming that's because he only played for one minute um, against uh, against Fulham. That's got to be the reason, right? So if you look at the six games in which he played enough minutes for them to rank his position or, or, or mark his position, I should say, he played at centre forward three times and three times on the wing. So to, to criticise him for his record this season, I think is a little bit harsh. Um, when you take all of that into consideration. Um, Saka, you know, yes, I, I still don't think Saka's been anywhere near his best so far this season, which has been a little bit disappointing. I know he's had injury problems as well, but yeah, I think there are, yeah, I think there are, um, there are concerns in both areas of the pitch, but I, I just, I'm reluctant to go too hard on Jesus's performances up front this season because there haven't been enough of them. And, and that's a problem in itself, right? Sometimes you have to recognise when a player has just not got that ability to stay fit, he's constantly going to have his body break down on him and you need to be ruthless and you need to replace or at least have adequate cover. And as I said earlier on, although we have Trossard and we have Enketia who have at times done good jobs in that position and we have Kai Havertz in the makeup of the group as well, none of them are as effective as a full, um, fully fit and firing Gabriel Jesus. Okay. Um, what else have we got? Uh, uh, Amira says, uh, going back to the Ben White point that someone made earlier on, yes, Ben White plays most games, even if he's injured. But the thing is, we shouldn't have to play him through those injuries. Tommy's probably going to be gone for a whole month too. Yeah, of course, the international competitions uh, could play a part as well, couldn't they? Um, well, they will play a part. Diego says, Harry, I think the centre-forward position is more of a priority than right midfield. We need a not-so-hidden gem that scores... 25 goals per season more than 25 goals per season in order to really compete with City I kind of agree and I kind of disagree as well because I think that Man City prior to the capture of Erling Haaland why do I keep saying capture the signing of Erling Haaland were just as effective with the goals being spread around the team and I think when you look back at last season Arsenal did really really well in terms of the total goals I think it was 88 goals uh, which was really really good um and that was done without that striker that scores more than 25 goals a season. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I do think it helps, of course. The problem is, does that take away goals from other areas in your team? And then do you become over-reliant on someone? And if you become over-reliant on someone and then you're without them for any period of time, you can really, really suffer. Uh, big hello to Pika Who on YouTube, who says, Hi, Harry. He says, first time uh, on your live. I always listen to you on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so, so much, mate. And that's a great time uh, for me to plug. Um, as you can, I don't know which way I'm pointing. There you go. As you can see here, uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, if you are solely watching us on YouTube, is available on all major podcast stores. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, all the usual places you can find at the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And if you want to go one further in supporting me to bring you daily content the way we do and get access to additional content, then you can become a member on the Another Slice platform via the link in the description. If you're wondering what Another Slice is, it's like Patreon, 
but it has its own app. As, I don't know if Patreon has an app, actually. It probably does. Another Slice has a really good app. Um, it's a brand new uh, company. Um, there were a few teething problems when we first set it all up. But I think now, like, it, it seems to be working really, really well. Um, they're a startup. I wanted to support them because the people involved in it are really great people. Uh, have come to know them through through some other stuff that I was doing. They're fantastic. And they make sure that the creator um, benefits from the memberships in a way that others don't. Others take, or Everyone takes their cut, but others take, in my opinion, too much of a cut. And what they do is they allow you to use that money to be able to reinvest back in your product in a way that I don't think anyone else can. Um, what else have we got uh, in the chat? Um, Ayoku says, greetings from Canada, rice to replace Partey and get Eze from Palace to replace Kai. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Osuo says, um, can Louise play as an eight? He's talking about, um, he's talking about Louise uh, of Aston Villa, Douglas Louise. I had to think there for a second. Um, it's been a long day. Um, I guess he can, but to me, he is a six. That's what I see him as. Um, you know, Villa fans might look at it a little bit differently. Um, and if anyone in our sort of mix sees it differently, then please do let me know. But I think Douglas Louise is a six first and foremost. And that's where I'd be most comfortable with him fitting into this Arsenal squad. 25-year-old Brazilian, uh, of course, uh, has played predominantly as a six for Aston Villa this season. Let's just double check that. Yeah, he's played as a, uh, a DM more than anywhere else. Uh, he's played in a slightly more advanced central midfield area at times, uh, but he is uh, predominantly a six, uh, looking at where he's played uh, for Unai Emery's side this season so far. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Khalid says, in terms of strikers, how hard would it be to get a striker that won't take away from the attacking threats out wide and contribute to build-up play? Is there a striker that matches that criteria? I don't think you're going to find that perfect balance, right? And what I mean by that is, you got strikers like Erling Haaland, who, in my opinion, need to be the centre of attention, need the service to come their way. And when they do and the chances are put on a plate, they will convert. Now, I think Manchester City are so good that Erling Haaland doesn't really take away from anyone else on the pitch based on the eye test. But if somebody scores 50 goals in a season, then, of course, they're probably taking some away from other players. I think the problem you've got at Arsenal is that you've got really, really dangerous and talented and explosive wide forwards in Saka and Martinelli in particular. You know, you've got your Trossards, you've got your your Reese Nelsons, you've got your um, Emil Smith-Rose if he was to be utilised in that position again like he was at the start of Arteta's tenure. And I just think that if you go out and bring in a bit more of a selfish striker, if you want to put it that way, and there's nothing wrong with being selfish necessarily when you play at centre forward, but you're going to be taken away from those guys. And I would always say that I prefer to have three guys that I rely upon in a forward line so that if I'm without one, even if I'm without two, there's still a, a, a greater possibility that I'll get by than having one focal point, one player that everything goes through. And when he's not available, simply being up shit street. So I think, if you bring someone of a different profile in to Jesus, then you are going to take away from those guys. And although that striker might put in a better return himself, is that actually the best thing for the team? 
And I'm not sure that it is. Um, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, someone said, uh, don't get a Rodegaard Mike H as they keep vanishing. Get a sure one instead. Oh, God's sake. I have got a sure one. Look, there you go. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Brad on the Arteta thing says, will Arteta get a ban after being charged with misconduct? I don't know is the answer to that. I'll have to look into that and we'll do that. We'll do that topic because I feel a rant brewing um, on uh, on tomorrow's uh, on tomorrow's podcast. Uh, Fuad says, uh, just want to say a big fan of your work, mate, and love listening to you on TalkSport when you're on in the morning. Sometimes when I'm getting myself ready, keep it up. Uh, question, will we finish ahead of Liverpool? Um, first of all, mate, thank you for your really, really kind comments. I appreciate that. Um, will we finish ahead of Liverpool? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think it is a three-horse race at the top of the Premier League this season. I think Liverpool have surprised me by how well some of their new signings have um, have clicked and and sort of the level they're at as a result of that. Eric says, um, hey, Harry, hope you're doing well, mate. Hardly ever get to make the live chat, so glad uh, to be here. Good to see you here, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Big hello uh, to Sadiq as well. Okay, we've come to that time where I'm going to tell you what I rank as... Uh, the biggest priority for Arsenal going into the January transfer window. If I were in charge, what are the positions I would be looking to strengthen in first? I've told you that I think if Ramsdale leaves, we need to strengthen in the goalkeeping area. But if he doesn't, then we're okay. I've told you that we're one player away from having our defence completed. And I guess it's a question of whether or not we feel that it's worth going and getting a stopgap player just to keep us through or keep us going through the period that Timber will continue to be out for. Midfielder, I think we we definitely need a midfielder, and I think we could definitely do with a forward. But are we talking a six or an eight? Are we talking a centre forward or a right winger? We're going to get into all of that just after this. So uh, while I find the button to click this thing, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back uh, to the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to rank it like this. Okay, I think number one, we need to do some business in midfield. I think no matter how hard I look at the forward line and think we're just missing one or two pieces potentially, and I am concerned about in particular the fitness of Gabriel Jesus, I can't help but keep going back to that midfield. I can't help but keep going to the fact that with Thomas Partey absent, for God knows how long, at least probably until the new year, based on what we're hearing. And then the new year comes and you've got the AFCON. We are in a position of being one injury away, one Declan Rice injury away from being back in the same boat that we were in last year. And we all know what happened. Okay, so I don't want to relive that. I just don't. I, I think there are only a select group of midfielders in the world that can play alongside Jorginho and make him look as good as Declan Rice is making him look right now. That's not to be disrespectful to Jorginho, because I think as a footballer, he's he's a brilliant technician. I think he's got a lot going for him. He's incredibly experienced. Seems like a really great character as well. But we all know that mobility is a problem for him. And there aren't many players in the world that can cover that up in the way that Declan Rice does at this moment in time. So we are one Declan Rice injury away from a crisis. So we need to go and get a midfield player in. Now, that can either be someone who can play as a bit of an eight, as a bit of a six, a bit like Declan Rice can, protecting us in two areas. That can be a specialist six or that can be a specialist eight. I would look at a specialist eight, but I would um, 
I would look at maybe someone that could play in both positions as well, just because I'm really concerned about Thomas Partey uh, and his fitness going forward. And I'm not sure how long we can get away with Jorginho being looked after at times. That might sound harsh to some people, but that, that's how I feel. So for me, um, I've talked myself into now thinking that we probably need someone who is actually a six more than an eight. That wasn't how I intended to go when I started this pod, by the way. I was going to tell you that we needed an eight uh, more. But I just think the significance of not the impact of potentially losing rice for any given period of time without Partey fit and without being able to trust in his fitness is, is not ideal for me, you know? And, and, and also if you go out and get someone that you see as a long-term fix that can replace Thomas Partey, then you move him on in the summer as well. So I'm probably going to lean towards a six, a six slash eight would be ideal. But I would take an eight as well, if that makes sense. But midfield is is the number one priority for me. Second priority is up front. Um, I don't know if it should be a centre forward or a right winger. I said earlier that I'd lean towards a right winger. I'm going to stay that way. And the reason for that is that I believe that whoever plays at centre forward in this Arsenal team has a job to do as a facilitator more than being relied on as a cold-blooded finisher uh, you know, Rude Van Nistelrooy slash uh, Franny Jeffers Fox in the box. Like, I, I don't think that's what this Arsenal team needs. I think it would be great to have it as a different option, as an alternative to what we see week in, week out. But I don't think that's what fits our game model. I do think it's important that we manage Bukayo Saka in a far more effective way. It is important that we have a specialist right winger that can cover him in his absence because when he's not there and we try and play Trossard there or Jesus there, actually, I think Jesus is a better option than most um, of our other options on the right wing. I think he proved that when he came in for those couple of games. But I just think that it's it's as much to protect Saka as anything else. Centre forward, I don't think we should go and bring in a stopgap centre forward or a centre forward that's not at the very top bracket. I think we should be going out in the summer and bringing in an elite centre forward. That's going to cost a lot of money. I don't think that's something necessarily that we're going to be able to do in January. And so don't kind of half do it in January. Park that. Go and do it in the summer. And whoever comes in on the right wing is 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 not going to be better than Saka. So just do that now because January is the type of window that you do those things. And I think it's more realistic to expect that. Fourth, I've put uh, third, sorry, I've put defence, but I don't know what position particularly. And again, this would probably be a stopgap for me because I think when Timber comes back, we're good. Um, I, I really do believe that. And then I've, at number four, I've put goalkeeper. Um, and that is, of course, dependent on whether or not Aaron Ramsdale remains at the club. I think he will stay, to be honest. But just based on what's happened recently, I'm not totally 100% convinced. Um which uh, which scares me, <laughs> which scares me. Um, okay, let's see what some of you guys are saying uh, in the comments before we wrap up. If you've got any questions, uh, chuck them in and I'll take a couple before we go as well. Uh, Eric says, I have to say I'm very unhappy how Tierney was treated and how we may transfer him permanently. I'm also unhappy how Emil Smith-Rowe has been treated. Both did nothing wrong in my opinion. Ruthless sport, mate. And, um, you know, whilst I don't like to see people I'm not going to say they're mistreated, man. They're, they're footballers. It's it's competition. It's part of being a competitive sportsman. There are going to be times where 
you're not flavor of the month. I think Kieran Tierney really struggled to play the game that Mikel Arteta wanted him to play. And, and as a result, he's, he's felt the, the need to move him on. I think Kieran Tierney was a big driver behind that as well because he wanted to play football. Um, and with Emil Smith-Rowe, I mean, if I were Arteta, I wouldn't rely on him either because he keeps showing us that he can't stay fit, which isn't his fault necessarily. But there's not a lot you can do about that if you're a manager. Like, you can't hang your hat on players that are not going to stay fit. And at the end of the day, if you don't get the results because your key players are always sidelined, it's your head on the block. Like, that that's how it works. Um, Diego says... But wait, Harry, the priority in January is risk management or attacking enhancement. I think the second is higher in the list. So the reason I view it like this is because I don't think that our attack is as big a problem as some people are making out at the moment. I think if you have Saka, Martinelli and Jesus all in the side for a run of games with Martin Odegaard behind him, you know, we, we forget that Martin, in this discussion, we've not really touched on the fact that he's been missing a lot as well. You know, you put all those guys back in the team and I think the attack clicks again. I really, really do. I think that a lot of the way we're playing this season is deliberate. I think it is something Arteta uh, wants in terms of having greater control and leaving ourselves, um, you know, vulnerable to, to transitions and, and to risks like we did before, like we did last season. I don't think he wants to find himself in that road again, watching history repeat itself. So I think there's a deliberate shift of style and that makes the attack look bad but I really do believe that when they're all fit and available over a period of time we'll be good again uh, so I'm not worried about that as much as I'm worried about what happens if we lose Declan Rice while Thomas Partey is out that's my biggest concern and I think we should be looking to address that ahead of anything else at this moment in time Okay, uh, let's see what else you've got um, Aaron Knowles says would you take no Champions League footy for seven years only to win it the year you qualify again. It's a random question. Um, but I've always said, like, my dream as an Arsenal fan is to watch us win the Champions League. I've, I've often said to my wife when she says, oh, when are you going to get... Like, my wife, when we first met, right, she was not into football at all. Yeah, she was not into football at all. She really isn't still, to be honest. But she takes an interest because she knows it's a massive part of my life. And now, you know, when I'm at games and my son is asking when Arsenal are playing and he wants to have it on the TV to see if he can spot me and all the rest of it. Like she puts the games on and I think she's gotten into it a little bit more over time. But I've always said to her from the day we met, look, if Arsenal win the Champions League, I'm okay with calming down. I mean, it's easier said than done. And the truth is it's never going to happen. But I would be okay with not scaling it back, but like I probably won't be as upset at certain things. I'd be able to say, but you know what, we won the European Cup. So for me, winning the Champions League is above everything. So yeah, of course, I'd take that. No problem. Um, I'd rather not wait seven years, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, okay, what else uh, have we got? Uh, Juice says, I touched on this earlier on. Do you think Nick Ramsdale's interview will do more harm than good for his son? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, if you've uh, missed it, go back and um, and have a little listen to a part we did on the show a little bit earlier on. You know what? I logged on and I was planning to do a 20-minute podcast and we're 47 minutes in, but that's because you guys uh, have been so great. Um, Fuaz says, uh, do you see the amount of injuries happening around the league being connected to the number of extra minutes being played? Sometimes going up to 100 plus minutes, there's so many muscle injuries. I think that's part of it. I think the fact that there's so many games is a big part of it. I think that the game is played with a much higher intensity now than ever before. That's a part of it. Um, 
I think there's a lot of factors here. I, I really do. Um, I think we need to do more to protect players. I, I know people say, well, they earn X amount of money a week. They should be able to play twice, three times a week. I disagree with that. And I think what we're going to get to eventually is a place where the standard of the football drops because players are no longer able to give their very best three times a week. The fixture schedules are mental and they need to be reconsidered, in my opinion. But hey, what do I know? Anyway, right, going to leave it there. Um, thank you all so, so much. Really appreciate your support as always. Thank you for joining me. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Which positions would you like to see Arsenal prioritise in this January window and in what order? How much do Arsenal have to spend? There are reports that the club are going to back Mikel Arteta. One outlet reported today that they're willing to spend up to £50 million on one single player, which nowadays isn't a massive amount of money. But given what people have been saying about our FFP situation, it's more than I expected. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, as I say, thank you. Don't forget, before we go, uh, to leave a like on the video if you are watching us. It really, really does help. We should at least have 100 likes on the board. I don't know why we're not there yet. So please smash the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking you. And if you're listening on audio, well, please do leave me a review as well. Uh, that really, 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 really does help, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, because the majority of you listen on Apple Podcasts, yet we have five times as many reviews on Spotify. How does that work? <laughs> uh, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As I say, it really, really does help. Um, leave written reviews as well, rather than just clicking the five stars, because it just looks better, doesn't it, on the page? Uh, but anyway, I'll catch you all uh, tomorrow. We're going to talk about Mikel Arteta's charge. There you go. Um, the papers or whatever with the FA have written uh, tomorrow's podcast for us. I'll catch you all then. Until next time, take care, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>